Welcome back to Far From Perfect. I am your host, Kylie Larson, and today I'm talking to Dr. Jocelyn Wallace. She is a doctor of physical therapy, a CrossFit coach, and also a precision nutrition certified coach. We had such a fun time talking about so many things. Uh, We see eye to eye on most things, so that was really fun to discover. But the reason she reached out to me is because um, she works with patients recovering from hysterectomy. And we frequently have clients who have had a hysterectomy and they are thrown into full-on menopause. This is called surgical menopause, but like nobody talks about it. So we don't only talk about it from a perimenopause standpoint, but we talk about it also from you getting back into working out and then what does your nutrition need to look like as you recover from this major abdominal surgery so we don't just talk about hysterectomies we also talk about pelvic floor healthcare, things like prolapse what it is when it begins and what you can do to prevent it um, and how to work with it and then a lot of the things that women experience that are quote-unquote common but that does not mean that they are normal so really emphasizing you being your own advocate empowering you to use the tools that you have and do the research that you can so that you are feeling your best no matter what stage of life you are in. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, welcome back to Far From Perfect, everyone. Today, I've got Dr. Jocelyn Wallace on the podcast with me. She is a physical therapist. You're a CrossFit coach and a nutrition coach, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, precision Nutrition Certified is how I got my nutrition coaching yeah, that's certification. The program. I love Precision Nutrition. Yeah, me too. Is that what you did too? Mm-hmm. One that you've done? Yeah. Awesome. Big fan. So with that being said, can you share with us just a little bit about your background and how you got into helping women the way that you help women? Yeah, absolutely. So while I was in physical therapy school, I was diagnosed with uterine fibroids and I wound up having an open myomectomy, which is a surgery a lot like a C-section where they do a bikini cut and remove the fibroids. And even having the resources that I had, being active, I was already a lifter at that point. There were no resources out there for how to heal and recover. So Mm -hmm. I made it my mission while I was still in school to fix that. So after coming out of school, I got all of the certifications necessary to be able to treat pelvic floor problems and built a specialty in helping people recover from surgeries related to fibroids, adenomyosis, um, endometriosis, conditions like that that often result in surgeries like myomectomies and hysterectomies. So I've been those doing are that some, for a while. Those are some big words. <laughs> but I wanted to write down the adenomyosis. Yes, you got it. Because I have a friend that has gone through that process. If women are dealing with this, based on what I've heard, these are painful things. Like if you're living with these things, it's painful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Were you experiencing that pain? 
Um, fibroids are one of the less painful conditions. They can create pain, but it's often a more broad pain, like an achy back, stomach cramps, that you start to lose your ability to tolerate core exercise. Um, you can have pain if fibroids start to degenerate or calcify, which basically means they start to die. They start to lose their blood flow. That can be excruciating. Endometriosis and adenomyosis are both typically very painful conditions. Well, and based on what I've heard anecdotally from several friends is that when they go to their doctors, they're basically having to educate their doctors about what's going on. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a, uh, endometriosis. I think the statistic right now is it takes like seven to nine years for people to get diagnosed. A lot of women with endo are suffering from the moment they get their period. They start having these symptoms, throwing up with their cycles, excruciating, life-altering pain, life-stopping pain. And a lot of times don't get diagnosed until they're pushing 30, That is if so not older. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. Oh my gosh. So what is the, not the avatar necessarily, but when you're helping women recover from surgery, what's the demographic like? So my typical client is in their late thirties to early fifties. Mm -hmm. um, I specialize in, I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist, but I give it a fitness spin. So the people that are usually drawn to working with me are people that are interested in fitness and being able to have their surgery and still jump and run and lift heavy and reach their fitness goals. And unfortunately in the gynecological reproductive health space, there's a lot of fear mongering around. If you have a hysterectomy, for example, you shouldn't ever jump again. You shouldn't ever squat again. So the women I work with tend to be interested in defying those expectations and they're usually very fitness minded. That's awesome. So you're saying after I have this surgery and I, I mean, I have to be cut open in my abdomen, right? Yes. You're saying I can still lead a functional life of fitness. Absolutely. Often a more functional life than ever because all of that pain and, and distress is resolved. Well, that's really exciting. Yeah, it can be incredible, especially to see people, especially in the UK and Canada sometimes and other countries, the surgeons aren't... Um, as up to speed on more modern post-op guidelines. So a lot of people are being told that they can never lift again. So to see the way that their face lights up when it's, when they hear like, no, there's a path back to that. And it's, it's incredible. So what does that look like? Let's say, okay, I just had my hysterectomy. Um, I come to you. Where do we start? What does it look like? Yeah. So in my perfect world, I start working with people a week after surgery when they're home, they're able to walk around and they're off narcotics so they can follow instructions and feel what their body's going through. So for most people, that's a week after surgery. The beginning is very gentle exercise, learning how to reintegrate the core muscles. Um, what, regardless of what kind of hysterectomy you have or what kind of incision that you have, most people experience where their, their ab muscles are kind of frozen. Mm. Like they don't want to go, they're not supporting you. So first is reintegrating those learning how to feel and use your pelvic floor again and gentle mobility exercises and stuff. There's usually a lot of movement restriction in the abdomen where people can't like stand up straight, can't twist because all that locks up on you. Yeah. And then just progressive exercise and strength training and rebuilding movement patterns along the way, always looking for technique, how to brace correctly versus bearing down on the pelvic floor and getting back into whatever their sport or activity is little by little. 
That's fantastic. Well, then I'm wondering too, Yeah, as I've noticed that a lot of times, um, since we're talking about women, like women Mm -hmm. don't have that connection to their pelvic floor anyway, or their core anyway. Um, Would you say it's beneficial to work with a pelvic floor PT? Like if you're curious, how do I activate these things? Or what's the best way to go about finding that mind-body connection? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the the fastest route to it is working with a professional. If you're not having any pain, any problems, if you're not recovering from a surgery, you can get that done in a session or two. Just learning the foundations and the building blocks that you can then apply to exercise. Well, because as you know, if, if you're not able to like brace or activate the pelvic floor or relax the pelvic floor, you can't move properly, right? Right. Like imagine I use the analogy of your bicep. Imagine if you started a bicep curl with your hand up by your shoulder and you tried to strengthen your bicep from that position, nothing would happen. It would be really silly. You have to extend, relax, straighten a muscle in order to contract it. And especially people that have had painful conditions or a lot of shame around sex and pelvic problems often have very tense pelvic floor. So sometimes the first step is learning to relax it so that you can contract it. I love that. Um, and I want to, oh, you, you are such a wealth of knowledge. I have to write this note down so I come back to it because I don't want to, I don't want to get off track. So speaking of getting back to movement and all of that after a surgery, clearly when you have the surgery, your movement's going to go way down, right? You just had your abdomen cut open. I'm not going to be working out as much. I probably don't feel like moving as much. Mm-hmm. What, how does nutrition tie into this? Should I cut back on calories because I'm moving less? or stay maintenance or tell us. Absolutely not. You can think of having surgery like a hundred workouts. You just did a hundred workouts and your body needs to recover from those workouts. You need protein, you need adequate nutrition. In my perfect world, people would be eating at maintenance calories for Mm -hmm. at least six weeks after surgery, if not eight to 12. You need that nutrition to heal. Your metabolism is on overdrive after surgery which is where a lot of the exhaustion comes from, the fatigue mm-hmm. and under eating can just make all of that worse. Yeah. And I imagine it would even prolong your recovery if there's, if you don't have the amino acids to heal the tissues and the muscles and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly can prolong your recovery. And like when you have a hysterectomy specifically, if you have your cervix removed, they create something called a vaginal cuff. Mm-hmm. Basically they close off the top of the vagina because the cervix and the uterus are gone. I always say I can't think of a wound that I wouldn't be more um, pressed to want to heal correctly and fully. And the last thing you want to do is undernourish yourself while something like that is healing. Absolutely. Okay. Now this kind of goes back to the thing that I want to circle back with. So after you have a surgery like this, if that happens, they have to take your cervix. What is sex like after that? Yeah. For most people, and what the research shows is that if you had pain and discomforts and fear around sex because of the condition you had before surgery, removing the uterus actually leads to good sexual outcomes because you feel so much better. Mm-hmm. Your cervix does create cervical mucus, which is where part of the lubrication that you feel comes from. So some people do experience like a change in the way that lubrication feels. But for most people, that's completely resolvable with lube, vaginal moisturizers, sometimes topical vaginal estrogen mm-hmm. if they're having dryness and stuff. But for most people, the outcomes are really good. In some more complicated surgeries, sometimes the actual length of the vagina does get a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it takes some time to rebuild up to 
full penetration, but there's a lot of tools and stuff to deal with that. Yeah. Well, and I, I love that we're also just having this conversation because it kind of goes back to one of the original things we were talking about women, mm -hmm. they have to educate their doctors or being misdiagnosed. It seems like there's such a disconnect with women's healthcare with these really important things. And I love mm -hmm. that we can talk about perimenopause. We can talk about sex and hysterectomies because I feel like people are like, you know, yeah. it's a secret. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then even the doctors, they should be asking us these questions. Uh, we, when you have a surgery like this, when you go in for period problems or hormonal problems, whatever it is, we should be getting a questionnaire with detailed questions about our sexual function or hormonal function, how we're feeling throughout the month. And they don't even ask these kinds of things. So we're never given the language to communicate it. And then we're left just holding all of these things inside, not even realizing that it could be a problem. And that's why we're so grateful to have you. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of things that are like kind of like tricky to talk about, can you explain what prolapse is? Yeah. Um, so prolapse is when the pelvic floor starts to lose some support. So our pelvic floor, it's just muscles and ligaments, just like the rest of your body. Like how, if you tore your bicep or injured your bicep tendon, you would expect it to adapt, to heal, to have the capacity to get better. I like to lead the conversation about prolapse with that because pelvic floor problems, you can heal them. You can expect them to get better. Our bodies are resilient and adaptable, but prolapse is basically when the ligaments and the muscles of that, the tissue in that area is stretched out. It's lost some elasticity. So the organs inside of the pelvis start to descend. So the most common um, forms are a cystocele where the bladder starts to descend into the vagina and you'll feel like a bulging or pressure in the vaginal area. Uh, it's the most common form, but it can happen to the rectum. It can happen to the uterus. Does it happen just because, or is it after childbirth? Is it after? Yeah, the kind of all of the above. It happens most um, traumatically in childbirth. So childbirth can cause a situation where you don't have prolapse one day and the next day you have a full-blown higher stage prolapse. So it, it happens in stages like most things. So you can have a minor one, you can have a more severe one. Okay. Childbirth is the most common way to have a more severe one or to have it happen overnight like that. And people that have had a hysterectomy, people that have not been through childbirth, people that um, have issues like fibroids and stuff. It usually happens more gradually over time. So there's chronic straining on the pelvic floor. You might not realize or have any symptoms in your 20s. In your 30s, you might start leaking sometimes. Might get a little hard to put a tampon in or you might feel your tampon starting to push out when you're exercising. In your 40s, you're starting to feel a bulging, a heaviness. In your 50s, 60s, you have prolapse. Now, that is going to segue into another conversation just because this is like, this happens, is this normal? Is this something I should prepare for? Is this my life now? Mm -hmm. Um, and no, it's absolutely not normal. It is common. It's a thing that a lot of people experience. It does get, um, more common as we get older and we lose estrogen. So when the, we lose estrogen in those tissues in the vagina and the vulvar area, they, the tissue starts to get weaker, more lax. So mm -hmm. it does get more common as we get older. But if you catch it earlier, it can be reversible. So the symptoms can be completely reversible, especially if you catch it along the way in a story of what I just told about, like it starts a little bit in your 20s and gets a little worse in your 30s. If you catch it in your 30s and 40s, it can be completely reversible. That's great news. So let's talk about things that are 
common but not normal the you know the urination leaking when I jump up and down I'm, I'm assuming that's yeah. one of those things yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> common but not normal um no matter what stage of life you're in if you're experiencing it there are things that you can do about it I do think that we've taken the common but not normal narrative a little too far and that it almost feels like we're shaming women for experiencing that and not feeling ready to do something about it yet mm -hmm. it's okay if you don't yeah. want to do anything about it right now, there's a different ways that you can adapt and keep it from getting worse without mm -hmm. going on like a full-blown protocol, trying to fix it. That yeah. is okay too. It's never too late to address it. Oh, that's a good note. Never too late to address it. I think yeah. we all need to write that one down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, if you want to work on your fat loss first, or you want to work on your aerobic fitness first, you can mm -hmm. do that first and then work on your leaking. That's an okay way to prioritize things. So since this, these are things like we're, we're going to lose estrogen and this has a tendency to happen as we get older, is there some maintenance that we should be doing to keep our pelvic floors supple, healthy, all the things? Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody should have a pelvic floor cool down routine. So that can be as simple as some box breathing. So and the way I usually start with people is a four second inhale, four second hold, four second exhale. On the inhale, you're looking to feel a descent or going down of the pelvic floor. On the exhale, you're looking to feel a lifting of the pelvic floor. That helps to basically calm your, your pelvic floor back down, just like you might stretch your quads after mm -hmm. you do a bunch of squats. You're just calming, reducing the tone in the muscle. Mm -hmm. um, legs up position, so legs up on a wall, propping your hips up on a foam roller or a bolster of some kind can be really good for helping downregulate and relax the pelvic floor after a workout. And then I think all active women should have some understanding of what bracing and bearing down feel like, because when you are lifting, when you are doing functional athletic activities, you should have more of a brace going on at the pelvic floor and not a bearing down. So that sensation of pushing a tampon out, that's bearing down. So sometimes I'll even have people put a tampon in and exercise with it, even if they don't need it in that moment. And what's happening while you're exercising, if you're pushing it out, you're bearing down. That's cool. And then you get that instant feedback. Yeah. yeah. Like, I want to work with you. Like, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> well, speaking of perimenopause, we both are working with yeah. these perimenopausal women. Are there any considerations that we need to take into account as we head into our forties in this stage of life regarding pelvic floor health, all the things that you help women with, what do we need yeah. to know? Yeah. So the best menopause specialists out there right now are prescribing vaginal estrogen for all women 50 and over. Mm. Some of them are prescribing it sooner for women that are clearly having perimenopausal symptoms, but vaginal estrogen does not affect your whole system. It just affects the tissues of the vagina, the urethra, the vulvar area, and it can do wonders for keeping that tissue healthier and basically maintaining the quality there. Um, so just having that knowledge and being able to find a doctor that will give you that information can be really, really important for people in perimenopause. And then nutrition gets more important than ever, as I'm sure, you know, Yeah, you have to eat to um, recover from exercise and support your workouts. And it's so hard, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Jocelyn, you know, it's just, it's the generation. I don't know if this is going to be a thing in 20 years from now, but I'd love to just have this dialogue of it's so hard to get the women of this age group to eat enough. Mm -hmm. Do you experience yeah. that too? Yes. All day, every day. 
<laughs> I so I have a, a client now that's been given by her registered dietitian an eleven hundred and seventy calorie diet, and she's active. She does high intensity aerobic type classes at the gym. It's not enough food, so she's been struggling with all kinds of hormonal symptoms that they haven't been able to um, address with hormonal replacement therapy. It hasn't quite been hitting. She's um, struggling with belly trap and not recovering well from her workouts. And then she started to get lower back pain and all these different symptoms. Mm -hmm. And none of that stuff can work. Hormone therapy can't serve you the best if you're not eating enough food and giving your body the tools to recover from exercise. I love that you just said that because I am all for hormone therapy, but also it's not the magic thing. You still are going to have to, like you said, eat enough and you still need to exercise. You need to lift weights. Um, cause it all works together. We, nothing operates in a silo. Yeah. Yeah. Think of it like hormone therapy gives you the ability to feel good enough to then go and do those things that are so important for your health, but nothing is as powerful as progressive strength training for a lifetime. Nothing that is our anti-aging vitality youth preserving tool. It is the magic bullet. It is. I was talking about this on Instagram the other day, and I have a friend who um, she teaches group fitness and I love group fitness. I think group fitness is so much fun and I am all for moving your body for fun and just because, but like you said, the progressive strength training, we all need to be doing this. <laughs> it's yeah. not a fun thing. <laughs> Brushing my teeth is not fun. No adulting is fun, but we need to do these things. It's about so much more than the way that you look. It's like what you said, functionality. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's why, I, that's what I love so much about your content is you tell the truth. Like it's supposed to be boring sometimes. Yes. You should be doing the same things over and over and over and over. It should feel simple. Yeah. It's so funny. I just finished reading Atomic Habits for literally like the sixth or seventh time. <laughs> and in the last chapter, he talks about that. Like what makes... Uh, he's talking about athletes for the most part, what makes successful athletes so successful. And it's mm -hmm. their ability to fight through the boredom because you're going to practice your putts over and over and over again. You're going to practice your free throws over and over and over again. Um, we're going to squat over and over and over. Yeah. <laughs> and if you can, you know, not push through, I can push through that, then yeah, push through the boredom yeah, exactly. yeah, and find, push through the boredom and find other tools to keep your mind occupied. Put yeah. on some music and dance around between your sets. Yeah. Listen to an audio book. Find another way to make it fun. Add a yoga class or a group fitness class sometimes. Yes. But you can't get away from the progressive lifting for a lifetime. Yep. And it's like, yes, the Atomic Habits talks a lot about athletes, but what is more like similar to being an athlete than trying to maintain your vitality through perimenopause and menopause? That is no easy task. That takes an athlete's mindset. It really does. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because you have to pair up your nutrition and your training. You need to train like an athlete. Yeah. Talk about an opponent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we briefly brought up the um, hormone therapy, after you have a hysterectomy, is it optional? Is it necessary? What's that look like? Yeah. So just having a hysterectomy just means removing the uterus. Okay. Most people have the fallopian tubes and the cervix removed as well, but it is possible to leave both. Some people have an oophorectomy, which is the removal of the ovaries. Some people may have one ovary removed if it's like really cystic or something. 
And some people may keep one ovary and remove one. If you have both ovaries removed, you're going straight into surgical menopause is what they call it. Mm -hmm. So you're full-blown menopause. There's no para. You're in menopause now. In those situations, the most up-to-date surgeons, in my experience, are giving their patients hormone replacement therapy before surgery. So their body's primed and ready for that experience. It can be a very tough transition to just like wait and see right after surgery and then feel horrible and then go on hormone replacement therapy. (laughs) So really great surgeons seem to be giving their their patients um, hormones before surgery or like having the script ready. So you're on it immediately. Because I mean, uh, we'll have every now and then one or two women that'll do like our perimenopause program that that's mm-hmm. their case. They were, they're in surgical menopause. Is that what you call mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So no transition time. And I don't know. What do you think like, would be more manageable, not having to deal with the transition or just being thrown into it or going through the transition? Yeah. Uh, it's a really hard transition, but in a lot of cases it's, made for life-saving purposes yeah so if you have incredibly extensive endometriosis endometriosis is not really a truly like reproductive uterine disorder it can grow all over the body Mm. i've seen people have it in their abdominal wall all over their bowel in their diaphragm so it can start to affect your ability to take a deep breath like the simplest parts of life can be affected so that's a situation where i see people have their ovaries removed sometimes because it, de- it wipes out estrogen production. So endometriosis is less likely to recur. And for those people, it's a tough transition, but it's a worthwhile transition. It's a good trade-off. Yeah. Other cases where I see people go into surgical menopause is for cancer prevention purposes. Mm-hmm. Which again, it's tough. It's a very hard decision to make, but it's worth it mm-hmm. for them. But they typically do better if they're on hormones earlier through that transition. Wow. So do you think, um, is there anyone out there suffering that doesn't realize that there is another way? Yeah. A lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Um, the most common story I hear people that have been kind of fear mongered out of exercise after their hysterectomy. So they've been told of the risks of prolapse and incontinence and chronic diseases and osteoporosis and all these things that you'll hear. When you're Googling and going in the Facebook groups, when you're choosing to have a hysterectomy, you know, yeah. (laughs) And they're scared away into just walking and swimming and gentle yoga. Mm -hmm. And that has only doing those things from your forties and beyond has worse, much worse health repercussions Mm -hmm. than starting to lift and doing all those things and taking the small risk of developing prolapse or incontinence. Mm -hmm. So swimming and walking for a lifetime is, that's the riskiest decision. So a lot of people are out there suffering with the repercussions of that. They're losing muscle mass. They have osteopenia. Their body composition is changing. And that con- that's coming with mental health impacts. Mm-hmm. And they can't get out of that cycle because they're stuck with walking and swimming. Wow. Yeah, absolutely no like load-bearing exercises. Yeah. <laughs> so you're just basically withering away. Yeah. Because so again, like if I think most people who will listen to this understand the power of muscle, but in case you like share it with a friend who hasn't like drank the lifting Kool-Aid yet, 
like muscle is not about your physique. That's just a bonus. That's an aside. It's about your metabolic health. It's about being able to move and do the things, which is why, like you said, it's the thing that we must be doing, whether we like it or not, like we can do other <laughs> things that we like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It has to happen. And the risks of not doing it are so much larger than the risks of doing it. So that's, that's one of the biggest ways people suffer after surgery. That's a very powerful statement because I know there's also some people out there who, yes, they're lifting, but it's like a body pump class or it's part the lifting part of an orange theory or something. And that mm -hmm. also is, a, you know, nice to do a great entry level. But what we're talking about is, as she mentioned, the progressive overload, the risk of not doing it far outweighs the risk of doing it. Yeah. And people are, when people think of the risks of heavy lifting, they're thinking after hysterectomy, they're thinking about prolapse and incontinence, mm -hmm. but just in general, often the reason that women are afraid of heavy lifting, worried about how it'll change their body or worried that they're going to get hurt. Yeah. The injury risks of running orange theory, contact sports are all higher than lifting. Pickleball. Yeah. Pickleball. <laughs> Running has exponentially higher injury rates than lifting heavy weights. Well, that needs to be an Instagram post. <laughs> like people need to know. <laughs> Fascinating. So then this is probably not a fair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because everyone wants to know well, how long, how long is it going to take? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I have my hysterectomy. I start working with you. How long until I am quote unquote, back to normal. I may not be lifting as heavy, but I feel good and I'm competent. Yeah. Um, for an uncomplicated laparoscopic hysterectomy, so that's where they have smaller incisions, where they don't have going into surgery, they don't have prolapse or incontinence or something already. So the most uncomplicated version of a hysterectomy, they're doing body weight exercises, like working back into their movement patterns around two weeks after surgery. At four weeks after surgery, they're starting to reload those patterns. Often around two weeks, they're also doing upper body, like standard bodybuilding exercise. But around four weeks, you're starting to load squats and deadlifts and things like that. Um, the soonest I've seen somebody hit a deadlift PR after their hysterectomy was around eight weeks. Whoa! So that's as fast as it. She had a 300-pound PR. She's a crossfitter. <laughs> <laughs> She's amazing. I know she's incredible, <laughs> but that's how, that's how easy it could be. But that's not the story for everybody because a lot of people are going into it. Like I have large fibroids, for example, very large fibroids. So they put bearing down pressure on my pelvic floor. They swell up my abdomen. So I have to rehabilitate not so much from the fibroids. I have to rehabilitate from, uh, from not so much from the surgery. I'm rehabilitating from the fibroids. I need to get my abdomen put back together and my pelvic floor in a good place again. So in a story like mine, I would expect to feel normal more around 14 to 16 weeks. Okay. Well, actually, can we talk about that too? Because before we hit record, we were talking about how women have these fibroids and it's causing the swelling of the belly and they think it's belly fat, but it's not. So I just want everyone to like be aware there might be something going on that you don't know. So talk about fibroids for a, a bit. Yeah. So fibroids are non-cancerous growths in the uterus. So they're basically like messed up muscle tissue mm -hmm. and fibrous tissue that just grow in little balls in our uterus. 
And when people think fibroids, they think heavy bleeding. That's a common symptom is heavy, heavy, heavy bleeding, hemorrhaging, stuff like that. But they can grow without causing heavy bleeding. So often people don't realize that they have them until they've got kind of gotten out of control. Mm -hmm. So some other symptoms that they might be there, urinary frequency. So you're peeing all the time for no apparent reason. Your hydration habits haven't changed. You're waking up over and over again to go to the bathroom. Um, urinary retention. So that's where you can't get your pee out. Like you pee and then you get up and you're like, I just, why do I feel like I have to go again? I literally just went. Like you can't ever fully empty because mm -hmm. the, the fibroids start to push on your bladder and block things essentially. Um, constipation, sometimes alternating constipation and diarrhea because stuff can't get out. So your body turns it to liquid and shoots it out instead. <laughs> I so love the visual. I'm here for this. <laughs> Um, and then abdominal swelling. So as the uterus, your uterus rest is actually really small. A normal uterus is quite small. It's inside your pelvic bone. It does not like press out into your stomach or change the shape of your stomach. So you're finding that your lower abdomen, like right above the pubic bone is starting to grow and grow and grow and grow, and grow. It could be a fibroid. Okay. All things we need to know about. And as I'm listening to this, I'm just thinking, how easy is it to be a man? <laughs> right if men had these problems we would have a cure and something like 50 to 80 percent of women will have a fibroid in their lifetime I got them very very young I started to have them in my 20s but most women will get one at some point in their lifetime if that happened to men we would have a cure yeah I just saw something about like they're working on a, an IUD for men and it's going to come with pain mm -hmm. medication like oh, no. insert it and I don't have an IUD, but I don't know if I could handle the process to have one. Yeah. It, I've heard a lot of horror stories. I've worked with two women that their IUD broke apart into pieces inside of their uterus. And they had to basically have a myomectomy, but they didn't have fibroids. They just had to remove the little pieces of their IUD. Oh my God. What a nightmare. Oh, but some people love their IUD. Yeah, Some people <laughs> love them. I understand. We gotta, if you don't want to get pregnant, you gotta do something. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, um, so you have a hysterectomy coming up. Yes. I'm having a hysterectomy in May. I've had, um, two open myomectomies. So they've removed 54 fibroids and then I got, <laughs> then I got pregnant. Uh, I had a C-section. So it's going to be my fourth surgery and I am very happy to be <laughs> done with my uterus. Okay. Your abdomen has been through it. Yeah. It's been through it, but so I'm can talk Just as about strong as ever. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you doing to prepare for this surgery? Yeah. Um, continuing strength training. Yeah. My general program includes things like RDL, deadlifts, back and front squats, pull-ups, ring rows, pushing same and same. Yeah. Much of that. Um, a little bit of direct core exercise. So something women with fibroids, especially large ones, experience is as the abdomen starts to get distended things like a sit-up or a plank, like it doesn't feel good anymore. You can't do it anymore because your ab muscles are starting to get stretched out. Yeah. So most people's reaction to that is to just stop. But there's so many ways that you can modify to keep as much strength as you can. So like for me right now, I'm doing sit-ups, holding onto a band attached to the squat rack. Mm -hmm. So I can still do a high quality sit-up and still work my abs without putting too much pressure. Um, planks on my knees, like just your good old fashioned core strengthening exercise. So I can hold on to as much strength as I can. That's great. You know, and as you were just saying this, I have a client that 
the fibroids might be the issue for her. Like we're trying to figure out what on earth, what, what is happening? Because it's like everything else is fine, but it's the stomach area and it's not mm. something that's in her head, right? Sometimes a client will come to you and they'll say, I feel fat in my stomach and it's not that at all. Yeah. But how can I, who do I direct her to, to see, okay, maybe this is a fibroid thing. Yeah. A gynecologist and you want to ask for a vaginal ultrasound or okay. transvaginal ultrasound, not just a belly ultrasound. Okay. Oh, I remember the vaginal ultrasounds from when I was pregnant because I went through IVF. And so the wand, mm-hmm. wand up yeah. the vagina. <laughs> yes. yes. For anyone listening, we're all friends here. My mother-in-law would do because she was a stenographer. So oh my God. we're close. We're very close. <laughs> you know what the best is though, Jocelyn? I'll be anywhere. And they're like, oh yeah, your mother-in-law, she's my gynecologist. I'm like, oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) The world. Yeah. Even better is when she runs into them in public, you know, it's just a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Yeah. And then you know what she knows. (laughs) But also like talking about this stuff too, going back to that whole shame thing, um, Mm -hmm. it's really helped me be more comfortable talking about the things more comfortable in my body, more comfortable talking about sex. Like probably two years ago, I wouldn't even like say half of these things, <laughs> but I love that we're talking about it and getting comfortable with it. And- yeah, we need to talk about it more openly. So many women have problems just because of the shame of this kind of stuff. So there's a condition out there called vaginismus where people can't tolerate penetration and sometimes mm-hmm. literally just the fear of sex and penetration. Oh, yeah. has been built up over a lifetime the shame and the yeah. terrible terrible I know I have I remember um being younger and having friends that could not put tampons in because of that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah it's not we've come a long way there's still a lot of work to do but I mean thank goodness for you right thank goodness we're just talking about these yeah. things yeah and, and for all of us yeah and for, for women us. like you creating a platform for yeah. women like me and working with perimenopausal women specifically yeah. There's a time in life when so many of my clients expressed to me that like they just start to feel invisible. So to see people start to be seen, like there's an industry cropping up to support these women, which yeah. is amazing, I think. It is amazing. And true, like because you start to come into it in your 40s, like you're still so young in your 40s. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. So much. <laughs> I mean, that's like, I think of your 40s as your prime. And maybe I'll think of my 50s as my prime when I turn 50. Yeah, yeah. I think life is always your prime when you're strong and you, and you lift. Jocelyn, put it on the Instagram. That was a good one. That's going in the clip that I shared. I was doing the math yesterday. Like the average lifespan for a woman in the U S is 77, which means I still have 40 something years of lifting ahead of me. Like we all have so much time, but we're always thinking in when can I, how fast can I lose this weight? Can I lose these 10 pounds in a month? We need to be thinking in five years, 10 years, 30 years. Truly. Well, and like, think about that. 40 years of lifting. Think about what you could get your deadlift to in that time. Yeah. (laughs) Record breaking. Record breaking. (laughs) Like, I don't know if you follow that, like Granny Guns or something on Instagram. She's older. The one that does like the transformation. Yeah. What's that? The one that does the transformations. Like she dresses like an old lady and then. Yes. She takes her clothes off and now she's doing yes. pull-ups and stuff. <laughs> that's the one. I mean, that's going to be us. Yeah. We're going to yeah. be so strong at 82. 
even if you've never lifted in your life, if you start when you're 50, you can be that. Yes. We have so much time. We have so much time. That And that's such a great reminder too, because even as like perimenopause is a rocky time, I don't want to make anyone think it's easy to go through. Um, I think there's things we can do to make it easier, but like it's a snippet of time and mm-hmm. we will get through it. And then we can keep focusing on lifting heavy stuff. Yeah. Even if it wasn't perfect while you were getting through it, like every little bit of work, every time you practice, every time you show up and do half a workout, if you don't have the energy to do a whole workout, Mm -hmm. every single little thing that you do in that time matters and does pay off. Absolutely. There's no time wasted when it Mm -hmm. comes to this kind of like meditation. Not that I meditate, but (laughs) (laughs) I want to, I do, but you know, it's not like if you do it for a minute, it was a waste of your time. It all, it compounds. Yeah. So let's say I need to work with you. Um, Mm -hmm. How, how can women work with you? What does that look like? What do you have to offer us? Yeah. So I call it my 90 day revival program. It is for women that have had one of these surgeries, hysterectomies, myomectomies, endometriosis excisions, IUD removal, (laughs) 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 but I work with people virtually. So it's a combination of zoom meetings and then asynchronous programming and lifestyle coaching essentially to get you through that period and get you back to what you want to be doing sounds fantastic working with someone like you (laughs) yeah well this is so great I have a couple people that I feel I'm like this is going to be an amazing resource for you I love it Jocelyn (laughs) doctor doctor (laughs) Jocelyn is fine (laughs) how um how old do you have a boy or a girl a girl how old is she now she's 18 months (gasps) oh Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, you were going to be so like, I just envisioning you recovering from your surgery, having your toddler, all this stuff, running your business. Yeah. <laughs> a lot going on, sister. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a time. <laughs> but, but we have nothing but time. What is, what is she into right now? What, I can't remember what 18 month year olds do. Um, She loves Abby Kadabi from Sesame Street. She loves having the zoomies running back and forth through the house. And there's a new gym, or at least around where we live called Kids Strong. So we signed her up for this gym called Kids Strong. They can start as soon as they can walk and they do like, they push the boxes, like the soft foam boxes. They do like little sled pushes and they practice hanging from the rings on the bars and they do squats. She can do squats when you tell her to squat. So probably with perfect form too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So she's starting early. That is so great. Oh yeah. And then I have to ask you too, how can we get a hold of you? I'll put everything in the show notes. What's the best way? Where can we find you? Yeah. Instagram is where I'm the most active. So my handle is VR Jocelyn Wallace. And then my website's the same. Um, And uh, you can book a free consultation call on my website and my Instagram. Okay. Well, I am just so grateful for all the knowledge that you shared. I, you, you just rolled with it. You guys want you to know, like I never prepare questions for people. And I think that's a true testament for like the expertise that you have because you just roll. Thank you. Yeah. This is my passion, my life's work. I talk about it all day. So it's very clear that it's your passion. So thank you so much, Jocelyn. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you so much for having me anytime. Bye. Bye. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thank you once again to Dr. Jocelyn for joining us today and sharing her amazing knowledge. You guys, please make sure you find her on Instagram. Her handle is at Dr. Jocelyn Wallace. Her website is the same. And if you are interested in supporting the podcast even further, please check out the show notes and you'll find links to all of the brands that I am truly in alignment with and use myself. So Outwork Nutrition Supplements, I use their pre-workout and their recovery drink that has creatine, Glow Pro Cell tanner i've been talking a lot about that lately my tried and true beauty counter products for personal care and makeup and then element which keeps me hydrated all winter long i'm currently sipping on the raspberry salt and last episode i was talking about my newly rental box which i really really love and you can get 20 dollars off your first rental with the link that i have provided and if you really want to be a superstar a superstar supporter, you can sign up to be a supporter of the podcast for as little as $5 a month. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you next week.